On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll discuss the Pacers' moves at the trade deadline, which all centered around moving Buddy Heald to the Philadelphia 76ers. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, before we move to All-Star Week in this upcoming week, and yes, it's right here in Indianapolis in my backyard, in many of your backyard, I hope you're able to make it downtown to at least experience some of it. Well, before then, another major NBA event is finally behind us. That, of course, is the NBA trade deadline, and For many, I know it's the favorite time of year for some fans. For those who like to dabble on the trade machine and see what deals they can concoct and unearth and see what makes sense, see what players they can move on from, and most of the time it's deals that are unrealistic. But leading up to that, it was very quiet. This trade deadline, I think, will really be remembered for two things, how several deals were made in advance, weeks in advance, in fact, and then that slow-moving deadline. It got to a crawl until, really, the day of when some things got started. Felt like after a deal or two got put out there, then there was a rush of, like, five more, Um, and all those had to be called in to the league by 3 p.m. this past Thursday. Later on in this podcast, I'll play all of Chad Buchanan's press conference. He met with us media after the Pacers' home loss to the Golden State Warriors Thursday. And what stood out about that game in particular is something I'll get into more later on. But the note that Corey Joseph, the former Pacer, was with the Warriors, was traded to the Pacers, was then waived all while he was in Indianapolis. Like, (laughs) uh Pretty uh, memorable moment, I think, if you're Cora. I need to call him because I'm very curious what that was like. And also, um, I mean, do you go back with the Warriors back to San Francisco afterwards? Uh, do you just take the a commercial flight earlier in the day after you had already been moved? Like, what's protocol there? Do you go back to Toronto? Like, that'd be interesting. But um, it's also very emotional. As I wrote, I, I think... W- What you may not realize is how vulnerable so many are around the trade deadline, whether it's uh, especially players, whether they are going to be moved or someone close to them is going to be moved on the team. Um, But then also staff members, coaches. These are people, players, they see every single day. And so to lose them, to uh, be moved on from, to whatever, uh, sometimes it's just a pure business transaction. That doesn't sit easy. And I think that's a direct reflection, perhaps, of that performance Thursday and the loss to the Warriors, which really was unacceptable, Uh, much like Monday's loss at Charlotte. Like, this team plays down too many of their opponents. And the fact that they have a couple losses this season to a rebuilding Hornets team a couple losses to a bad Trailblazers team, that shouldn't sit well with this team. They've played up to a lot of their competition, right? We saw that in particular in the in-season tournament. We saw that at the beginning of the year when uh, they beat Milwaukee a couple times. They split games with Boston Celtics but played them well. Well, these this trade certainly didn't help them in the short term, but these weren't done to, say, upgrade the team for right now. It was more done... As I put on Fieldhouse Files, the day of the moves, this was done kind of in respect and um, in consideration for Buddy Heald. Keep in mind these factors. Buddy Heald 
was in a contract year. He is in a contract year. His playing time has gone down. Therefore, his role has gone down. He had been moved from the starting lineup to the bench the past three games. I think things got a little contentious, and um, you know he just wasn't happy with his role. And keep in mind, like if you're playing 15 minutes per game and you're scoring eight points per game, you're only getting six shots up. That doesn't bode well for you heading into free agency. And so while Buddy liked this team, he loved his teammates, he loved uh, the fit for what it was, things change, and it's going to happen. Things will evolve, right? And so he's sitting there and has to look what's in his best interest, and it was in his best interest to be moved elsewhere, to try to set himself up for free agency. Um, I can't blame him. He's 31. It's probably set for the last big contract of his career. I do see a guy like Buddy Heald, especially with shooting and the way he keeps care of himself, the way he works out and is in the gym more than probably any other player that was on the Pacers roster that is on the Pacers roster. Uh, there's times where they have to say, hey, doors closed. You got to go home, buddy. This is your third time here today. Uh, things I've heard. So, um, yeah, a guy like Buddy, I, I could see him shoot until he's 36, 37. Um, who knows? I mean, we're seeing guys play longer than ever. And I mean, shooting is so valuable. That's what he does. And you don't lose that. You lose your legs. You lose your finesse, your athleticism a little bit. I don't think he'll be, he doesn't lean on that as much. So that bodes well for him. But uh, let's get to Buddy in just a second. Leading up to the trade deadline, here's what we saw. We saw several big deals already occur in the last couple of weeks, a couple months, and even like Going back to, what, early November when James Harden was moved to the Clippers, and that has worked out incredibly well. They have managed to make that work. I was a doubter at that time, but they definitely have proved me wrong and many others. Daniel Tice, former Pacer there as well. Uh, they've really crushed it lately. The, the hottest team right now, I think, is Cleveland. I think they've won 14 of 15 games, which obviously directly impacts the Pacers and what they're trying to get accomplished in not just having a playoff berth, but getting as high seed as they could. At one point, I think they were up to fourth. I think they've dropped down to sixth now. Could be falling even more, having lost, I think, five of their last eight games, two of their last three. Haven't looked sharp, but I keep in mind, too, you're about to go into the all-star break. You have trade deadline behind them, so that's no longer an excuse, and that is what it is. But you no longer have the trade deadline thing to fall back on. Uh, beyond the Clippers, you had OG Ananobi to New York. Uh, same thing. That's worked out both um, for OG and for New York. That was a player the Pacers have coveted and have liked for a long time. It just didn't work out as the Toronto Raptors chose the deal with New York. Then we saw Pascal Siakam traded to right here in Indianapolis. Kind of been, uh, it's been a good but not great start, but no surprise. Halliburton's not 100%. A change in rotations, change in lineups. You have the trade moves that they did make uh, this past Thursday. I think they'll look much better with some more practice time and coming out of the All-Star break. A couple other minor, more minor moves. Terry Rozier to Miami and Kyle Lowry bought out, of course. Um, even Steven Adams going to Houston. Uh, and what we saw in particular, especially with Ananobi, Siakam, and I guess you could throw uh, Steven Adams there, is these de deals were done with the future in mind with pre-agency, and that's a term that's really uh, become really popular over the last couple of seasons, and that's essentially a team trading for a player who's in a contract year with an understanding that they're going to figure it out and they're on the same page entering free agency. And by acquiring them now, you can get in good graces, you can understand each other better, you can um, 
have their bird rights, which is important. For example, the Pacers and Pascal Siakam, the Pacers can offer him more money. They can offer him additional year. Uh, all those things bode well both for the team and for the player. And in this market, say, compared to New York with OG Ananobi, it's, it's more tough for a franchise and a market like this to get it. Again, as I've repeated probably on radio hits the last couple of weeks, the, I love David West and what he contributed to the team and how great he was in interviews, but that's the best free agent to ever sign with the Pacers. So until they change that, that's, that's going to hold true. And so that's why the Pacers were willing to sell off uh, three first-round picks and move on from Bruce Brown and Jordan Wara, who, by the way, was out of the rotation there. And so you hate to give up those guys when you could say, yes, technically you could wait until July when he's an unrestricted free agent. But if you get ahead of it, that matters. I think about what happened with Paul George. Remember here in Indiana, he really was signaling and uh, making it clear, not even being quiet about it, how he wanted to go home and play for the Lakers. So the Lakers sat back and said, hey, we don't need to offer anything. We don't need to go acquire him. Why? We'll just sign him in free agency. Well, PG being PG didn't even consider the Lakers then in free agency. He said, you didn't want me. You didn't want me bad enough, so I'm going to go somewhere that did. And so he ultimately just re-signed with the Thunder only to ask out and now be with the Clippers. But nonetheless, that's how that sort of things work. So the Pacers set themselves up well. It was not a big cost. This is exactly why they used and were comfortable signing Bruce Brown to the dollar figure they were at $22 million, knowing that it was a very tradable contract, that they had to get over the salary floor uh, before the start of the season, which was new. That was part of the new CBA. Um, not sure why they did that because it kind of hurts players in the long run, I think. But that was some object, an objective that was accomplished. And then I think they got some value out of Bruce before moving on from him. He was a starter. He was a defensive player. He talked all about his championship experience, what it takes to build a winning culture, because the, that culture is something that the Pacers are working towards. Every franchise has to work towards every single day. And there's highs, there's times when it's not good. There's other days when it's really encouraging. And I think in particular, we saw that in December during the in-season tournament when things were chugging along quite well. Everyone was seemingly on the same page. They were fighting for something together. Put egos aside, and that's not easy every single day every single practice and and so on and right now again I can't emphasize enough is there's very little practice time they are getting some shoot arounds in while on the road and I think it was even notable I thought how Rick Carlisle noted before the last home game that they came in for a morning shoot around uh, or walk through before the last home game I think it was at 9 a.m. he was saying and normally for context they come in and I think get going at like 3 p.m. A little film, maybe 30 minutes on the court, walking through the opposing team scout, what they're expected to do, and that's mostly it. Well, this is different because he could sense, and they, they all needed something, and they still do. That is very clear. But let's get back to this trade deadline. So I, I hope you now understand kind of Buddy Heald's positioning and all of that. And so in the large, in the bigger picture here, uh, the, the Pacers had talks with Buddy Heald's agent, um, about a potential contract extension in the fall. That was before the uh, even training camp, not even before the preseason. That was before training camp, I think in late September. Um, and they were just clearly far apart. And it was clear, I think, to both sides that they weren't going to be on the same page. Buddy is looking for something that starts 
at $20 million, which is what he's basically making and has been making the last several years, and the Pacers weren't willing to go there. They value him. They appreciate his his work ethic, his reliability, his availability, which is his best asset, which is saying something contribute, considering what he contributes. But they didn't want to quite get there, and they understood they had Tyrese's max contract coming on the books, which will start at, I think, like $37 million, could work it up, even over $40 million per year starting number if he gets all NBA and the game's played figure. But then they also plan for they need to go get another star, and they think they have that in Pascal Siakam, a guy who's won a championship, a two-time all, all-star, a fringe all-star, I think, this year. Um, I wouldn't have voted. I would, could you could, I don't understand the Trey Young and Scotty Barnes move personally, considering the team, lack of team success and all of that. Those wouldn't be my uh, first two candidates, but they are replacement players for Joel Embiid and Julius Randle here. So those two are all-stars, but... The Pacers knew Halliburton's contract was coming. Uh, they hoped a player like Ananobi, like Siakam, uh, one of those would be here in Indiana. And then it, then really you you want to get one more big contract, big star, and they're in search of that. They know this roster isn't final. They still need to consolidate. They did that a little bit moving on from a guard and, and Buddy Heald and Bruce Brown, uh, Jordan Wara, who was like the fifth on the depth chart at power forward. They have one open roster spot right now. And there's a number of ways the Pacers can go after uh, and fill that role. Four ways, really. You can do nothing. You can sign some players uh, one at a time to 10-day contracts, kind of give them a tryout, if you will. I've been all for that for the last several years. I like this, by the way. To be clear, I love the fact that they have one open roster spot because it gives them this flexibility. Um, It gives them a chance to try something out. Uh, The two other things I should mention among the four that they could do, one – Play in the buyout market. I think that's unlikely. Usually buyout players are going to contending teams. They want to win right now, or they're going to something that's favorable. A place they've played, a market that can pay them more, they go home, what have you. And then the final thing that the Pacers could do is promote from within. As you could say, reward someone like Oscar Shibwe and then bring on someone else on a two-way contract to replace him and give that player uh, an opportunity you could do it with Isaiah Wong for example Um, I don't think those are the more likely routes but just sharing for example the four possibilities that the Pacers will do I don't think they have uh, one sure thing set but those are the possibilities that they can consider now back to Buddy Uh, with his situation then to the present the Pacers had been talking to teams for over a month I've been told uh, about you know parsing through uh and just having conversations, seeing what interest level was like for Buddy across the league. And and those those conversations happen all the time, too. Uh, in addition, you know, just a casual December conversation. You might, and I'm making this up, but maybe uh, the Pacers are talking with Toronto. Let's use them as an example because of Siakam. And you're saying, hey, Masai Ujiri, uh, if you guys make a trade, you know, any any players you like on our roster or players – you might be willing to move that just aren't fitting in well with your team, and you build that database both mentally and I think physically as well. Now, it's no longer like a hard copy, like all the scouting books, all that's digital at this point, but so much, you, you might see a casual conversation between a couple executives at an event, before a game, those sorts of things. That might be something that they're discussing, saying, hey, man, um, you know, I really like OG Ananobi. I really like Pascal Siakam. Keep me in mind if you're willing to move on. Keep me in mind. Just a reminder. Things like that. Conversely, they're saying, yeah, you know, 
we like Buddy on this Pacers team, but we understand his situation, and we'd be open to a a, a deal. Um, I'd be open to that. So you call around, you see what else, uh, other deals you can't get, or you know whatever. But remember, Buddy's on the market if you're interested. Those might be the hypothetical conversations that are are had there. And so uh, I'm told Pacers had been calling around for quite a while. Some teams had expressed interest, and. The Pacers have to consider what's in their best interest, number one. And this is, I think, what they were torn with a little bit because they were getting some offers, or at least serious interest. But some of them did not help them. Some of them did not make sense from their standpoint. And so you're not just going to move on from Buddy, make him happy, move him to a playoff situation where he's going to get a greater opportunity uh, unless the offer can be there. And ultimately, it became... The first deal became a three-team trade, uh, finally, once um, these things build on themselves, right? And so it can get really complex. But the short uh, idea of all, all that went down with that Pacers deal was Buddy Heald going to the Philadelphia 76ers, Marcus Morris Sr. to San Antonio, Furkan Korksmob to Indianapolis to the Pacers, uh, and then San Antonio sending Doug McDermott to the Pacers. Now there's cash exchange, there's some picks exchange. In all on the day, the Pacers netted Doug McDermott, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, Corey Joseph, and one second round pick uh, when you consider all that. Um, obviously the first deal initially was three, or a couple uh, rather second round picks and they include one and I, I won't bore you with those details. They're all at fieldhousefiles.com. But you had that deal and so I think once the Pacers realized they could get someone like Doug McDermott, they were accepting to this deal because technically this season, Doug's been shooting it better. He's played a lesser role. He's seen his minutes go down with San Antonio the last couple of years. Obviously, the Spurs not trying to win. That's got to kill someone or be frustrating, uh, more aptly, I should put it, uh, for someone like Doug McDermott, who's a competitor, who's a shooter, who plays uh, hard and, and has probably won his entire life from high school to AAU, obviously at Creighton where he had his jersey retired at a ceremony in mid-December. But Doug McDermott back with the Pacers, which is a lot of fun. Uh, It is a downgrade, to be clear. You hope Doug can kind of contribute at the similar level with some of his shooting. But I I think Doug's Doug's uh, floor is is higher than Buddy's, right? I think when Doug's out there – you know more what you can get on a baseline, but Buddy can pop off. Buddy could have a thirty-point game. He could hit, you know, six threes in a game. And I don't. I think Doug is less apt to do that. Um, plus, a midseason deal like this, the Pacers are vastly different since Doug was last year. New coach, new system, almost entire new roster. Uh, he's very close friends with T.J. McConnell, so that's awesome for both sides. Um, but T.J.'s in a very different point of his life right now uh since Doug was here right he's got two kids and uh and all of that Doug lived downtown I'm curious if he'll previously or if he'll remain downtown like he was last time whereas someone like TJ uh is in the suburbs far away where you can get a, a bigger house and all of that but uh with Doug being back here it'll be interesting to see his fit especially after the all-star break because until then it's so hard to read I think what they're trying to do, what they're asking of him, what does he know? Um, 
and I think as I mentioned on the last podcast, it's it's even more challenging, I think, for players to come in because it's not like they're running the same plays called something different. The Pacers, especially when Tyrese is out there, are doing so much read, react, move within the flow, but um, understand the concepts and kind of go from there. I was a little bit surprised that the Pacers elected to waive both Cork Maz and Corey Joseph, and I should note the Corey Joseph deal. That was not the Pacers going to get Corey Joseph or anything like that. That was the Pacers receiving a second round pick and some money. Uh, I think all, or uh, receive, yeah, essentially receiving money basically to take on Corey Joseph's contract, which keep in mind, Golden State, one of the biggest salaries in the league. They're not winning. So that's a tougher pill to swallow. Uh, but because of all their recent um, times going over the cap and such, they're paying repeater taxes. So let's say a $1 million salary might cost them $4 million. So uh, moving off of Corey's salary uh, may have saved them something like $10 million uh, because of all that. And so uh, that's especially valuable. So the Pacers basically made money in that transaction. They could bring him on, pay his salary, waive him, and they were still paid out cash uh, from the Golden State Warriors to do that deal. So uh, I still could find a use for Corey Joseph. That's why, especially with, you know, Nemhard's been injured for much of the season with a variety of things. Halliburton's still not 100%. Um, and, by the way, Tyrese was close with Corey Joseph in Sacramento. So that kind of made a lot of sense. But also, who knows what Corey was thinking. He's not from here like George Hill was and, and had an affinity for the market and the team and wanted to stay here and wanted to be here more than one year. Um, so the Pacers waived Corey Joseph. They waived Maz as well. I thought they'd give him a chance, too, with the with the open roster spot. Like, why not give it a try? But I was told at the when it happened uh, by someone involved that when the deal was done, it they weren't sure if he was coming or if the Pacers would bring him on or if Maz would be open to that. To be determined is what I told was told. So that tells you right away uh, he was just included for salary purposes, not because, you know, um, he was included because the Pacers were intrigued by what he could do and he had a lesser role with Philadelphia, but in this system, that's something this Pacers front office has done very well is finding players that are undervalued, underused, putting them in their system, using them in different ways. I think maybe the perfect – here's the perfect example. It's Aaron Neesmith, right? Pacers did that deal to get off of Malcolm Brogdon's contract and got a first-round pick. They got Aaron Neesmith, and, man, that has turned into not only a great player but – a great future salary as well. One of the better deals the Pacers have done recently, giving him a three-year, $33 million extension before the season, like uh, you know, Obi Toppin and Tyrese Halliburton. He's part of that 2020 draft class. Tyrese got an extension. Neesmith got an extension. Uh, Toppin did not. I think he wasn't exactly as much interested in that, wanted to hit free agency, see how this season went beforehand, and so he will. Um, and so with Buddy, it, you hate to move on, but it also, you can realize, hey, look, this also opens up more minutes for Benedict Matherin, for potentially Ben Shepard, for Aaron Neesmith. You can, you can easily fill those 20 plus minutes that he was playing elsewhere with younger guys, guys that fit the timeline uh, that have been playing lesser minutes. So that was one positive out of it. Um, even though while player for player, yes, it was definitely a downgrade, but it turned out to be a busy day for Chad Buchanan in that Pacers front office, wheeling and dealing, making these phone calls and 
The other thing I do want to note is it was astounding how many former players, really from like I think it was the 2018 team, that were getting moved. Boyan Bigdanovich, Detroit to New York. Thad Young, Toronto to Brooklyn. Then he was, I think, waived. Victor Oladipo, waived officially by the Grizzlies, but he's been out of the league and still rehabbing. And then Gordon Hayward going from Charlotte to Oklahoma City. Complete contrasts in teams. Charlotte's rebuilding, blowing it up. New ownership, new general manager, maybe new coach. Oklahoma City at the time, the top team in the Western Conference, 35-16. and 16. Uh, A very young team that has exceeded all expectations, a stable environment, an incredible medical staff, by the way, led by Donnie Strack, who is known around these parts as Reggie Miller's ball boy. So uh, really cool for him. I'm happy for Gordon to see him get a fresh start in, this, in that situation. Uh, he'll play coming out of the... Uh, all-star break and such so it turned out to be an active trade deadline for the Pacers Um, many moves but mostly it was basically Buddy Heald to the 76ers Doug McDermott and a second round pick to the Pacers and now we go from here Uh, the next big thing is all-star weekend right here in Indianapolis which was going to be a blast all of all of full coverage for you right on fieldhousefiles.com, so make sure you're subscribed to that and check that out. I'll try to cover as many events as I can. There's a couple ABA things I'm going to get involved with, several former Pacers, more than several, uh, half dozen at least former Pacers coming back from Meta World Peace to Roy Hibbert to Jermaine O'Neal, um, Steven Jackson. I think the, the list goes on, and I think that will be uh, really a cool thing for this market and for the game to have some of those individuals uh, back in town. And then, as as we know, hosting Indy will crush it. A uh, couple other things I did want to mention is I will have a, uh, a couple more podcasts coming for you this week. I might try for one a day. We will see because uh, there's a lot to get to. I'll be joined later this week, former Pacer Damian Wilkins, speaking of former Pacers. He's now the general manager of Overtime Elite. I'll talk with senior VP of NBA events Joey Graziano to preview All-Star Weekend. Um, which is going to be very busy. Here's a lineup of what the Pacers have involved. Matherin and Shibwe, Friday night, Rising Stars. Halliburton, Saturday night, three-point contest. Halliburton, Matherin, Turner, Saturday night, Skills Challenge. Uh, and those events, of course, are in All-Star Saturday night. Sunday afternoon, some Mad Ant stuff. Shibwe, Isaiah Wong, Kyle Mangus. Good for Kyle. He was recently added uh, local from Warsaw, Indiana, he's been shooting the hell out of the ball and been one of the best players, non-first-round uh, uh, picks or even two-way guys on the Mad Ants roster this year. Not only is the game in Indy in his backyard, it's really you know close to his hometown, but he's been one of the Mad Ants' best players uh, being in the league for the first time this season. He's just deserving of it. I was surprised he wasn't the first Indiana Mad Ant player in, but it took a couple weeks, but now he is in that G League up next games at the convention center Sunday afternoon. And then, of course, Sunday night, Tyrese Halliburton in the All-Star game. Quite a week in store. All right, to wrap this podcast up, I'm going to leave you with the audio from Chad Buchanan. Pacer general manager talked with local reporters. I think he answered about 19 questions in 17 minutes, all surrounding the team, its future, Halliburton, Moving Buddy healed. what went into those decisions, but I appreciate the Pacers making someone from the front office available always at this time after the trade deadline. I think the only time they didn't was in Nate Bjorkren's rookie season 
only season with the Pacers, but Chad Buchanan was made available Thursday after the loss to the Warriors. Here's what he told local reporters. Just start off real quick. Uh, it's been a busy dating back to um, the move we made with Pascal, which is, seems like it's been quite a while ago, but um, culminated today with the, the trade deadline and a lot of activity, as everybody knows and is aware, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to ask any questions about the moves that were made, you know, dating back to the Siakam trade to everything that was done today. So let you guys fire away. Chad, today, what went into the thinking of moving on from Buddy Hill and the return you got from Philadelphia? Yeah, Buddy's obviously a terrific player. Uh, has meant a lot to our team the last, you know, couple of years. Um, he's got a great spirit, obviously a phenomenal shooter. Um, we're always trying to, you know, look, look long-term with this team, um, building this thing step-by-step. Step. I think, you know, dating back to, you know, last year when we kind of start, went in this new direction with this team, it's, it's going to be a process of building the team. We want to get to the point where we're contending for championships, and that's going to take some time. It's not going to happen immediately. Uh, we feel good about the moves. You know, Pascal is going to be a big part of, you know, things moving forward. Um, but, you know, Buddy is, is a player that, you know, contributed valuably to us on the court in the locker room. Um, but we're also in the situation where we got to make some tough decisions. And building this team, you know, requires some tough decisions, and today was one of them. How much input did you have Tyrese Halburn give you on all these moves, including the Siakam trade, especially considering his relationship with Buddy? Sure. I mean, not blind to their relationship. Very close guys, uh, close friends, and, you know, play well together. We know that. Um, so, you know, Ty was aware of what we were planning to do, and um, Ty wants to win. You know, Ty's, you know, wants, is thinking long-term just like we are and realizes that there's some tough decisions along the way. But we're also excited about the moves that we made today, too. Um, losing a valuable shooter in Buddy, but bringing in a, a terrific shooter in Doug as well. So um, different types of players, obviously. But we know we're losing that skill set, but we feel excited about what Doug's going to bring us. You've alluded to several times in the past being, you know, chasing that strong forward or that two-way forward. How long have you guys been interested in Pascal and what made the time you actually did at the right time to acquire him? Oh, I mean, for me personally, I've loved him since New Mexico State. Um, but, you know, as a staff here, we've been long, long time admirers of Pascal. We've had several, you know, attempts to try to get him to our team. Um, but, you know, the circumstances matched this time with us in Toronto. And I've always admired his two-way ability, his, his love for the game, his, his motor. Obviously, as a player that just got better and better during his time in Toronto, and I've always admired him from afar and felt like he would be a great fit with us. And um, so far, he's been phenomenal for us. Very happy with Pascal. I guess to keep on that, I mean, just were you – bottom line, were you surprised it didn't cost you more? I mean, he was obviously an All-NBA player, two-time All-Star. Um, you know, certainly Bruce was – you know, had, had uh, contributed for you guys a lot in through first-round picks. But I guess were you – I guess did, did you expect the cost uh, to get a player like that to be higher? Oh, I'd never diminish, you know, players like, you know, Bruce and Jordan. I got a lot of respect for those guys. Um, obviously, we gave up some draft capital, um, you know, different, you know, times of situations, you know, the price will, will vary. Um, some of it's contract related, some of it's, you know, direction of a team related, but uh, it felt like the right price for us at the right time, and it was absolutely the right player. To what extent, I mean, obviously the big question people have about that deal is, you know, is he going to be a long-term, you know, presence for the Pacers? What? Um, what kind of conversations have you been, you know, allowed to have uh, so far? I mean, how how much of a sense did you have about his? I mean, it, at least I guess whether he was going to get a, keep an open mind uh, about resigning beyond this season. Sure, I mean that's a big part of of a trade is you you, you trade for somebody because you want them to be here long term, and we're limited on some of the things that we can do with that. Um, but you know, the goal when we we attained him was to have him be a long term piece for us, and that's still still the goal. And um, he's been a great fit so far. 
I think he's happy so far. Um, we're happy with him, so it's going to be a relationship-building part here. You know, we're only 11 or 12 games in, so he's still getting to know us, and we're still getting to know him a little bit, but I'm very optimistic about, you know, him being a big piece of us, of our team moving forward. You, you talked earlier about just Buddy just being one of those tough decisions you, mean you had to make. I mean, what – um, to delve, I guess, a little bit further in that, I guess, what made now the time? Obviously, you know that he's got an expiring contract or whatnot, but what made this the, I guess, best collective move uh, that you could put together if you felt like you were going to have to move on from him? Sure. I think as a front office, you're always looking, what's the next step? And as we looked into the off season, we got to start planning towards, obviously, we're trying to maximize this season. That's Our team's done a great job of getting us in position to be a contender in a, for a playoff spot. We don't want to diminish that, but we, we as a front office always have to be looking to the next step. We want to put ourselves in position to be good for a long time. And so this today, you know, the decision we made with Buddy was more made for thinking a little bit down the road, but we also didn't want to hurt our team, you know, too much. And that's why bringing back Doug, we feel like, replaces a lot of the things that Buddy brought uh, from a shooting standpoint. But we're, like I said, it's a step-by-step process. We're trying to think long-term with this team and try to be good for a long time and put ourselves in position to contend for a championship. And uh, today was one of those, you know, decisions that maybe feels like, you know, wasn't helping the team now, but we're trying to look long-term, and I can't emphasize that enough with this group. I guess to put a, a finer point on that, what what about this deal looks really good for the long-term as far as you're concerned? Obviously, Doug's in a similar contract position. Um, you know, he probably – it might not cost you as much to re-sign him or whatnot, but, I mean, what, what, are, the, what are the pieces of this deal that you look at and say that's, that's the piece that makes us bigger, better long-term? Sure. I think anytime you acquire draft capital, that puts you in position to make moves down the road to improve your team. I think you saw a lot of moves today that involved a lot of second-round picks. Um, you know, players obviously involved, but – Draft capital is a really important thing to building a team, and we acquired a lot of that today uh, that we think could be beneficial down the road to help you know build the team. We acquired a pick last year at the draft that um, helped us attain Pascal. It's, draft capital is very valuable currency, obviously, in, in the transaction business in our league, and the more of that you could have, the more in position you are to make a move for a big-time player, and that's what we're trying to put ourselves in position to continue to add great players that can be long-term pieces for us. Chad, how do you – on to that point, how do you thread the needle when, you know, players are young, they're hungry, they want to win like tomorrow, but you have to look long term and knowing that there is an emotional side to it, a relationship side to it as well. Yeah, you never want to diminish, you know, the desire to win now. I mean, we're we're not out there trying to not be competitive. I mean, we've had a our coaches have done a phenomenal job this season with this group. Uh, we've got young guys that are blossoming, you know, every game for us. I know tonight was, you know, not our best night, but you know. The job that these coaches have done with some of these young players and where they're going, where they were at from when we attained, obtained them to where they're at now, I, mean, I can't say enough positive things about Coach and his staff and the work ethic of these guys, the unselfish, team-oriented, hard-playing you know, style. That's what we're trying to build this team with. And so you're trying to balance you know, thinking long-term, but you want to put guys in position to develop and succeed and, and grow. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of our young guys right now. So excited about where we're going with this group. Um, and if we can continue to add to it, more hard-playing, unselfish guys, um, we're very, very optimistic about our future. And then with Buddy, was it him asking for a trade, or was it just more of a team decision to move on from him? Uh, I'd rather not get into the specifics of it. Um, you know, got great, great admiration for Buddy and, you know, wish him the best in, in Philadelphia. And the last thing is, I know it's not related to, like, the trades and stuff, but when you acquire Tyrese, how much do you think he's changed the fabric of your decision-making period because of the leap he made, particularly this year from being, 
you know, an all-star to potentially an all-NBA caliber player? Yeah, Tyrese is uh, obviously a foundational player, and I um, hope he's here for a long, long time. hope he retires a pacer. Um, and he has changed our thinking a little bit. Some of it is his style of play. You know, it changes the type of players that you're looking to put around him. Uh, but also his elevation of where he's taken our team in such a short amount of time. You know, we're looking for players that maybe we want to have some young guys that are developing, but we also got to have some veterans that are helping us win now because this team's shown that we can be competitive with the very best teams in the league. And if we can get into a playoff situation uh, and Ty is our leader and, you know, playing with the pace we play and the confidence he exudes and puts in other players, um, that kind of elevates us to want to be good a little quicker than maybe we anticipated, but we also don't want to skip steps along the way. When you talk about long-term benefit, it, it would seem that ben Benedict Matherin's going to get a lot more minutes or get some more minutes. Was that part of the equation as well? Yeah, I think we got some young players that were you know, behind Buddy that we are optimistic about and believe in and wanted to see, you know, this, this move obviously, like you said, you know, creates some opportunity for some of those players and, you know, Ben being one of them. And we want to see what he can do with, you know, a little more of a, of a role and a little more responsibility. And we're going to go through highs and lows with our young players. We know that. Um, but we're also, you know, believe in these guys. That's why we draft them. That's why we brought them here. Uh, we want to help them grow, help them develop, and help them turn into big-time players for our team. Chad, in what ways do you feel like he, Pascal completely changes your trajectory and where you guys are trying to get in the next year or two? Well, he's obviously he's a champion. Uh, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. Um, he gives a little, you know, a more layer of experience for our, for our starting group. He gives us some versatility in the you know, sense that he's a 6'9", you know, versatile power forward. It's kind of a position we've been looking for, type of player we've been looking for. Uh, but we also know we're still a work in progress. I mean, Pascal takes us to another level, but we still know we've got more work to do as building this roster and developing some of these young players. But uh, I do feel like we've, you know, adding Pascal to this group has kind of elevated us to maybe the next step. Um, and we've just got to find more pieces to put with this group. Having tracked him as long as you have, what are some personality traits, some skill set, even off the court, that has stood out to you that you're excited that he's adding to this group? Yeah, I would really didn't know him very well. None of us did until the trade. Obviously, you have very little exposure to other teams' players um, in this league other than an occasional off-season bump in. But um, so far, he's been a very jovial, joyful guy who uh, you can tell he loves basketball. I mean, he knew a lot about our team from the day we got him. Uh, he studies the league. He loves to play. Uh, he fits right in with our group. And I think he's, you know, so far he's enjoyed Indy. It's a big change. All he knows is Toronto from his NBA experience. So he's getting to know Indy um, and been a very seamless fit with our group from our players in our locker room to our coaches to our staff. Um, everybody's just, you know, he's been an easy, easy fit like we had hoped. And uh, what considerations did you guys give to keeping Corey, keeping Cork Maz within, much like last season, I assume they maybe had a decision. Yeah, uh, you know, some of it is trying to keep flexibility with our roster. Um, you know, we wanted to, you know, have the ability to maybe look at some other players with our last roster spot. Um, we're going to have an open roster spot, and we might look at some different options there. Um, there's lots of, you know, different methods to do that. Um, so that was kind of important to us. You know, Corey is a player that, you know, we had here before, and I have a lot of respect for him, but. Um, we wanted to have the flexibility to maybe look at a different different player. Uh, we may do it, we may not. We may haven't decided for sure what we'll do with that last roster spot, but we have options there. And um, but you know, I have a lot of respect for Corey as a person, as a player too.
wanted to go back to what you said about Pascal and like positional versatility. I mean, how has he changed the way that you look at this roster? I guess kind of on a positional level from a short term to long term basis, short term basis and a long term basis in terms of what you feel like you need to put around him, and just again, just how it kind of changes the math and sort of I guess the geometry there. Sure, I think we're still feeling that out. Obviously, it's only been what it's been twelve games or whatever, and you know, our players are feeling him out. He's feeling out our players, so that's that takes a little time to develop that chemistry. Um, but, you know, I think when we brought him here, we felt like this is our long-term solution at a starting four position for us. And him and Tyrese together we thought would be a good fit, and they're still figuring each other out, but we're very, very hopeful and optimistic about that fit moving forward. And so, it, you know, if those two guys are big pieces, you know, of your group, it's finding the pieces that fit around those two, give them space to do what they do best, um, whether that's shooting around them, whether that's physicality, whether that's rim protection, uh, ball handling, whatever it might be. So you're trying to f figure out what complements your best players. And we're still kind of learning how those two guys fit together and how type of Pascal fits in with the whole group. Um, but been very, very optimistic. He's still learning things. I mean, he's he's out there, you know, still kind of getting to know his teammates. He's learning the plays every day, getting comfortable with what he's doing. And I think you'll see moments where he's, you know, he's very unselfish. He's hard playing. Uh, which is exactly what we're looking for in a player. and um, But we're still learning that as, as we go along. Chad, um, how have you all, as a front office, as a team, just kind of helped Tyrese navigate the 65-game rule? You know he wants to play. He's working through the hamstring thing now. He obviously, he's not a selfish person, selfish player, but there's a lot of lot riding on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the core of it is Tyrese loves the game. Like, he's – I take away the 65-game rule. Tyrese wants to be out there playing because he loves basketball. And you can see, you know, when he doesn't get to play, it's, it's it hurts. And I think, you know, you can see right now he's he's finding his way back to being 100%. He's not there yet. But uh, we also want to get him out there, you know, as much as we can because he helps our team. I mean, we're just a, a better team when he plays. Um, but you also want to be conscious of the long term for him, uh, for our organization. But um, we want him to get, you know, we want to be on the floor every night and trying to work with him on what's right with his body every night. Uh, you know, there's certain nights where, you know, he, he's not going to feel as good. And so you got to be conscious of that and not put him out there and put him at risk for something that might jeopardize things long term. So our medical staff, uh, our coaching staff, Tyrese, you know, it's a lot of communication, uh, making sure we're doing the right thing for him, but, but trying to get him out there as many games as we can. And he mentioned how it was kind of weird trying to get acclimated to Pascal because he wasn't 100 percent healthy when he first got here. How did that maybe factor into just how you evaluate evaluated your roster before the trade deadline? Yeah, it's it's still so early with Pascal with us. I mean, it's it's like like I said, it's just been a limited number of games so far, and it's, it might be in you know you may not know right away, you may not know till for a lot further down the road uh, how they how they complement each other and fit together, and it takes players a little while to figure things out. Now, Tyrese can you know pick things up quickly on you know how to how to maximize another player and he did a lot of research on pascal before the trade you know finding out you know how to play with him how where he likes the ball um, a lot about his personality so he's done his background but i think tyrese will figure him out pretty quick and i think pascal has just got so much smarts and so much experience that it'll, it'll he'll figure things out as well but um helping those two guys together it's it'll take a little time but we have a Hall of Fame coach and a great coaching staff that are, are working on that every day. Chad, with Doug, was it opportunistic after getting Marcus in the pick? Was he somebody you identified earlier in the day? How did that all kind of come together for you guys? Yeah, I think we knew when there was a possibility we might be losing 
the you know caliber shooter we're losing in Buddy, your your first instinct is can we replace it? And there were candidates we looked at for that. You know, some are available, some are not. And you know, Doug is a guy who's Rick's coached before. We've obviously had him here as a pacer before, but he's never played with our our group. You know, things have changed since he was here last, and we talked with him about that today quite a bit. He's super excited to come play with this group. Um, you know, the way we play, the the way the ball moves, the pace we play at. The amount of perimeter shots Tyrese creates for other people, uh, as well as TJ and Drew, I think he's going to find himself very, very comfortable very quickly, is my guess. And you know, Doug's another hardworking, high character, you know, pro who's you know going to fit in great with our group. I mean, a lot of our guys, you know, don't know him already from past, you know, being a teammate with him. But he's a guy that I think is going to be a good, good fit with the way we play. Yes. Um, before the season, our goal is to get into the playoffs. But after the in-season tournament, after the trade with Pascal Siagam, do you have a higher goal as a fast forward for teams such as Chesterry? Yeah, I think the goal is to continue to get better and better. Um, you know, the in-season tournament was a you know, great performance for our guys. And now, you know, we're kind of past that. You know, we're moving on to the next step is to, to make the playoffs. And, um, you know, that is the goal of everybody in that room and in that locker room. And, you know, us as a front office want to see that as well. And we're also trying to look long term, and that's why you know the moves we made today, you know, reflect that. But yeah, we, we'd like to be in the playoffs, and everybody in that room is doing everything they can to get there. Thanks for listening to the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Subscribe at FieldhouseFiles.com, and I'll talk to you again soon.